Ladies and gentlemen, and fellow golfers, for your entertainment. It's the Golf to Go Hour with Frank LaRosa, brought to you by the Hagen Oaks Golf Super Shop, America's most awarded golf facility. Nature Wood Home Furnishings, where it's all about choices and always about quality. Welcome in to another edition of the Golf to Go Radio Hour here on Sacktown Sports 1140. How are you? I'm Frank LaRosa. Scott Marsh is over there. Scott, how you doing? Doing great. Looking forward to talking some golf with you, Frank. You know, we tend to do this every week. And um, today we have, uh, let's see who we have on the show today. We have uh, Tony Deere, uh, who's a, uh, a, a writer. He wrote a, a story for Lynx Magazine on the um, on the most prolific golf architects. And so that brought up an interesting uh a number of names and and courses, so we will uh, we'll talk about that for a bit. Um, Aaron Young is the NorCal rep for Titleist, and uh, Titleist has just introduced. They're on their two year cycle for the brand new version of the Pro V1 and Pro V1X. Uh, and uh, as a matter of fact, on the Pro V1 Left Dash as well. Um, and and he's going to explain what what all of those different. I'm interested about this a lot because I know Tony, or excuse me, I know that Aaron's going to say that um, this new ball that they're coming out with will provide more distance with the driver, but the same feel around the greens. And so I want to know how that's possible because that is already a great ball and it just seems like it's too good to be true. Yeah, and and certainly feel um, is is, you know, paramount in, in, in fitting for that is, as uh, Aaron says, uh, most of, uh, most of ball fitting should be done, you know, from the green backwards. And, um, and, you know, if it, if it reacts well around the green and you start getting distance out of it, then, then you've got a pretty good uh, fit for your, for your game. So we know the pro V ones are a good fit for almost anybody. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we, we never had a chance to, uh, in the last couple of weeks to talk about your round at uh, Torrey Pines. How was yeah. that? That was fantastic. You know, it just thinking because, you know, the PGA is on the California tour right now. So they were down at Torrey Pines a couple of weeks ago. And, of course, at Pebble Beach this past week. Um, you know, I got a chance to play Torrey Pines. It was the last day before they shut down the course for the Farmers Insurance event. So it was a ton of fun on the south course. Uh, got out there on an early morning round, actually had the course to myself for several holes, which was, was pretty cool. And of course the U S open has been played there and it's coming back there again. And, uh, it was just a, a, a great day of golf. That's great. You know, I had a chance to play it, uh, oh, probably 15, 18 years ago. And, uh, and I certainly remember that, uh, that hole leading down to the ocean that it's, um, yeah, number three, it was a beautiful sight. Yeah, that par three, it's a famous hole, no doubt about it, and a beautiful course, and it's a public course, too, so what we're so lucky about, Pebble Beach, you can play, Torrey Pines, you can play, we're talking about just other courses down the coast, I know you and I have played Sandpiper at uh, Santa Barbara, and I'm going to be playing there in the near future, and that is a gorgeous uh, course as well, Morro Bay, I'm going to be at playing that in a couple of weeks. And that's another course that they call the poor man's pebble beach right on the coast right there that you can play for $50 that has, you know, great views of the ocean. So we're, we're just so lucky in this state, not just Northern California, but of course the entire state that have some great public courses. I remember doing a, uh, a story. I, I don't know if it was for Sacramento magazine uh, a number of years ago called Bay to Bay to Bay. And I started in, in, in the Monterey Bay area 
moved mm-hmm. up to a Half Moon Bay and then moved yeah. up to Dega Bay. And you talk about, you know, some beautiful golf courses uh, with with ocean views. Um, you know, certainly uh, everything in, in the Monterey area. I think this particular story, I did the um, the Bayonet courses and and maybe Pacific Grove, um, again, right on the ocean, uh, moving up to Half Moon Bay. Um, you know, the old course was designed by Arnold Palmer, has one of the greatest finishing holes you'll ever find right next to the ocean there. And then, of course, the ocean course, um, which is a kind of a link style course. Yeah. Pretty much a view of the ocean from from every hole, and then um, you've played Bodega Bay, I know, and and uh, that's that's an interesting golf course uh, designed by Robert Trent Jones Jr. Uh, in in two different uh, two different time spans. Uh, I think they they did the uh, the back nine first, and then in, uh, I'm not sure which they did first, but I I know they were done you know years apart, but. Um, it's almost like two different courses, the front and the back nines. Yeah, no question. And I know our guest Tony Deere has some thoughts about Robert Trent Jones. I'm looking forward to hearing those. Yeah, you know, Tony, as I said, I've known for a, a number of years, and uh, he's he's a very prolific writer, and uh, and we'll we'll see what he has to say. I'm looking forward to to hearing from Adam uh, Young, or excuse me, Aaron Young, and uh, that'll be coming up right after a couple of messages, and we'll, we'll be back with more. Uh, on the Golf to Go Radio Hour here on Sacktown Sports, eleven forty. It's the Golf to Go Hour with Frank Larosa on Sacktown Sports. Golf to Go Hour continues here on uh, Sacktown Sports. Uh, Frank Larosa, along with Scott Marsh, um, I've got a special friend we're going to welcome into the show. Tony Deer is a um, regular contributor to many golf publications. He's a um, he's an effusive writer and. Uh, and uh, he wrote a story uh, not too long ago that I kind of took a little interest in and thought it'd be fun to uh, have him on the show. He's also written uh, five books. The last one, uh, The Story of Golf in 50 Holes, which is an interesting title itself. Tony lives up in the uh, in the Washington area, and uh, you'll hear a, a bit of an accent in his voice, and I can assure you it didn't come from Washington. Tony, dear, how are you? Welcome to the show. I'm very well, thanks, Frank. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um you know, you 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 are writing all the time, and I, I see your byline in all kinds of places. This particular story you did for Lynx Magazine, which was golf's most prolific architects, and um, you know, on on the on the face of it, it you know everybody I'm I'm sure has has one or two that they're aware of, but but architects are are maybe you know for the uninitiated, not really. Um, getting the the kind of credit they deserve or the kind of attention. So, tell me how important an architect is uh, is to a golf course. Well, um, isn't architecture important to to every walk of life? I mean, if we um, if if every building looked like a like a Target or a JC Penney or a, or you know some massive warehouse, would you know? We wouldn't have the Capitol building or, or um, any other beautiful building. I mean, architectures—it's a—it's a question of taste. I mean, we all have our different tastes, and um, I can't imagine anyone loves Target buildings or J.C. Penney buildings over the Capitol. But you know what I mean. I mean, we, we, we all like different things, and and so some golf courses are—you uh, know—some people prefer some courses to others, and without that diversity it's it would be a very boring life and a very boring game 
Certainly, uh, many of the golf courses are, are you know, quite simple. The, the hole's ahead of you. You hit the ball there. You you put it in the hole, and you go you go play the next one. Some of them have the uh, the great fortune to uh, to be built on incredible pieces of property, um, like uh, you know Cypress Point, for instance, uh, Pebble Beach, um, and and those certainly add to the architecture. But in many ways, it it might even make it more difficult for the architect to to uh, to come up with a a design that is worthy of the of the piece of property that they have. Mm-hmm. Very true. I mean, the the um, I think I think you find with um, it's become clear that in in the last few years, the um, to have a top one hundred course, you know, to have a, a one of the great courses of the world, it's got to be a combination of a fantastic site, um, and great architecture. I mean, it, it's not just enough to have one or the other. I mean, there are. There are certain, you know, there are a lot of really, really good courses on sites that you wouldn't necessarily think of particularly good for golf. Um, but that really does come down to the the talent, the skill, the the quality of the architecture. Um, sadly, there are also a, a, a handful that I can think of um, really. Well, I, w- I was going to say dull courses, but they're not really dull courses because of where they are. You know, the the site is a, is so incredible. Be it on you know on the coast or on a lakeside or whatever, um, just just the site makes it that much more pleasurable and that much more enjoyable to play. If you can combine the two, a great site with with compelling architecture, then you have a you obviously have a wonderful golf course. We're talking with Tony Deere, uh, a regular uh, contributor to many golf publications about his uh, story for Lynx Magazine uh, about uh, golf's prolific architects. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the Jones family, uh, Robert Trent Jones Jr. and Sr. Um, they, between them, they certainly have an awful lot of courses in their portfolios. They certainly do, and you know what? The Jones family is a is a is a sticking point these days. It's 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 sensitive. Um, it just so happens that at the moment, at the in this period of time, um, the Jones family is coming in for a lot of stick. Is coming in for a lot of um, harsh words. Um, and whilst on one ha- on the one hand, like uh, I get that, I understand it. Um, on the other hand, I think it's a little unfair because the the the, um, the trend at the moment is for is 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 to look back in time at the golden age of golf course architecture, which you know kind of between the wars or from nineteen hundred to nineteen forty, let's say, um, where golf courses because there wasn't a lot of, a lot of machinery around at the time, there wasn't much opportunity to change the land. So the golden age, when people talk about the golden age of golf course architecture, the courses then were were far more natural because there wasn't a great deal of of earth moving going on. Um, So on the one hand, they're more natural, but also they're they're far more artistic. Um, In the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, when there was a a, a kind of a conveyor belt almost of um, golf courses being built because... uh, uh, you know, um, golf courses uh, on housing estates became became common, um, and more often than not, the houses, the housing element of the development took priority. So the golf course was 
was almost an afterthought and it was kind of wedged in between the rows of houses. Um, now those golf courses, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, well, thousands of those golf courses were built, but, um, and for, for those people that live on those developments, they're wonderful. You, you just go out the back door and they're wonderful, you know, cause you can play golf whenever you want. Um, but they're not necessarily the courses that you dream of playing. They're not necessarily your bucket list courses. Um, so on the one hand, while, while they certainly um, met, a, met a purpose, you know, they, they certainly have their purpose. Um, they're not terribly desirable courses, if you will. Um, and the Joneses built a great many of those courses um, in the, you know, uh, Robert Trent Jones Sr., you know, when it started, he, he he coined the term signature hole and wanted, you know, wanted to make courses pretty so they could go on magazine covers and all that sort of thing. So the emphasis was taken away from the from the design of the course and the little details of the course that met, which make the great courses great. And it was more of a conveyor belt style of golf. So... So um, that's where um, that's that's why the Jones family is is coming in for a bit of a bit of criticism at the moment because the, their courses, um, and, I, and I'm very I'm very reluctant I'm very loath to get into this argument because because I think you know at the time if you're in the 70s or 80s or 90s or whatever and you had the machinery that was at your disposal and you had these opportunities would you not have done exactly the same thing? Sure. Um, when there was less opportunity, you know, budgets were smaller. Um, the ability to move earth was much less back in the golden age. So the golf courses tend, tended to be how they, how, you know, more natural looking. So, um, so it's 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 a difficult argument, and and whilst I, of course I prefer golden age architecture and 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 the design build courses that we're becoming familiar with now, thanks to Tom Doak and Gil Hans and David Kidd and Mike DeVries and Bill Coyne, Ben Crenshaw, of course I much prefer those sorts of courses, but I'm never gonna um, I'm never gonna dismiss. Trent Jones courses or Fazio courses or, or other or Mike Hurton courses because they, they absolutely filled a gap. They filled a need. I hope that well, makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and, and the two of them built a pretty good course here in, in in our area, Winchester, which was the last course that the two of them worked on together. And uh, the, the, I think they had free reign there. That was pretty exciting. Scott, do you have a do you have a favorite architect or um or no. are you more by course? Um, I would say there's a couple of architects I'd really like to get your opinions on, Tony. We're, we're fortunate enough. We have an Alistair McKenzie course here in Sacramento with, with Hagen Oaks. And of course, we know what he did with Augusta and, and Cypress Point. I'm just wondering where you rank him in terms of the, the pantheon of all-time architects. And another one that uh, comes to my mind, of course, is Pete Dye. And, you know, he, he's obviously in the conversation, but I'd love to get your perspective. Certainly. Um Alison McKenzie, for, for many people, um, is number one, absolutely the greatest golf architect of all time. Um, I'm uh, I'm certainly happy to to put him there as well, although I've I've only 
you know, I'm, my experience about Adams and McKenzie, I, I've really, I, I think I've only played maybe three or four McKenzie courses. Now those, I mean, I was I was fortunate to play Royal Melbourne and I played Kingston Heath down in, in Melbourne. Um, and if you're ever fortunate enough to play those courses, you realise just how good he was. Um, I've, you know, I've, been, I've never played it, but I've been to Augusta a few times. Um, and that, although that, course is very different now to what he built and what he designed you know 90 years ago um you can obviously see the bones of Mackenzie there um and when and there are so many great articles um that talk about the history of what Mackenzie built there um and you can, and and I, I must admit I, I I do like I do prefer that that style of golf because it it just gives you more options when you're playing it's it's um the other criticism of of uh, Robert Trent Jones senior courses and those courses that were built in the 70s and 80s they they tend to tell you what to do off off the, off the tee and you stand on the tee and you know exactly what you have to do you have to hit it straight you have to hit it there and then you have to hit it from there onto onto the that's the only way to play the hole otherwise you're going to be in trouble with with a lot of the golden age courses and the um the courses that that are trending these days um you have you stand on a tee and 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 you don't know you're not told exactly where to go you have options you have, there are various alternatives um, and that makes you think i mean not only do you have to execute the shot you you not only have to sh- hit the shot that you want to play well but you also have to think about where it needs to go, in order to, in order to make it easy for you to shoot fewer, you know, your, your the lowest number on the hole that you possibly can. So, I mean, you, you might hit a great. I I hear this all the time about um, an article I did last year for links on on centerline bunkers. Now I hear all the time, you know, speaking with people who um, hit it into centerline bunkers. What a stupid bunker! Well, I mean, why on earth would you put a bunker in the middle of the fairway? It was it was a perfect shot. It hit an absolutely perfect shot, and there's a stupid bunker in the middle of the fairway. Well, no, it wasn't a perfect shot because you hit it in a bunker. You know that that's um, the bunkers put there. You know the the middle of the fairway isn't always the best place to be. It, it, if if the middle of the fairway is the best place to be on every single hole, then I, I, I'm afraid, you know, that, that that course leaves a lot to be desired because it, it's kind of one dimensional. You know, that there's 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 no there's no width to it. There's there's just straight and that's it. That that's that's all that works. Um you know Tony um we're Sorry, uh, I, I got so far away from the question there that, no, hang on <laughs> but but I tell you what Chris McKenzie and Pete Dye Pete Dye was um Pete, the funny story I've always loved about Pete Dye was um he he was around very Pete Dye's very early days was he he was around at the same time as um Robert Trent Jones or he started at the same time that Robert Trent Jones was was building his legacy his brand his company and he he literally said, I'm going to do the complete opposite. Now, whether that was because he really didn't like what Trent Jones was doing or because he just felt 
this will you know that this will help my brand to to be um to be contrary and to do something completely opposite i i'm not altogether sure but um but he tried to do exactly what robert trent jones wasn't doing um so he had a little bit more nuance in his courses um he had some telltale signs you know it was a, it was a die course with the with the um the railroad sleepers and and pot bunkers and a few other a couple of other things but he was um he was far more nuanced than uh than robert chen jones i mean i i think this might be something that frank will get onto. so forgive me for um for going ahead of myself but you can you can always tell a, a Robert Trent Jones course. Um, they they tend not to be too dissimilar from each other. Um, and again, uh, you know, I want I want to go back and say I'm I'm not uh, I don't want to totally reject or disregard what Robert Trent Jones did because he built a portfolio of 500 courses, which is which is incredible. Um, so I'm never going to dismiss um, the. Uh, the expertise and and just the 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 durability, if you like, of of um of the Trent Joneses, but Trent uh sorry Pete Dye had his courses just had more a more interesting look. They're they're more interesting to play, um because each one's a little bit different. Each one looks a little bit different. Each one asks different questions, whereas um, and the, and and of course I'm not I'm not. I'm 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 reluctant to paint with 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 uh, broad strokes and generalize too much, but um, but it if um if you have a certain shot that works, you'll be able to get around a Robert Chen Jones golf course. If you can, I hope that makes sense. Um, <laughs> You know, if you if you have a, a a drive that goes straight and high, and a and an iron shot that goes straight and high, you'll be fine. You you know you'll you'll get around Robert Chen Jones course. That that sounds so negative. But it's, it's, uh, it's it's kind of true. Um, you know you you you'll you'll do fine, and that's not necessarily the case with with Pete Dye courses or Golden Age courses or some of these. Uh, you know, you know the modern day courses, which just just require a bit more imagination, a bit more creativity. Did, did I did I did I answer the question? You <laughs> answered my question perfectly, and I, I got to throw out to you too because. Um, Hang on one uh, second, guys. Looking... Hold that thought just a second. Let's sure. just come back in a minute. Let's let's uh, let's pay for this program. We'll come right back. More with uh, Golf to Go Radio Hour right after this. It's the Golf to Go Hour with Frank LaRosa on Sacktown Sports. Welcome back into the Golf to Go Hour. Scott Marsh here with Frank LaRosa. We're talking with Tony Deer. Great conversation about golf architects and their impact. And uh, we're going to get into some famous golfers who are also architects. Look forward to that conversation. But, Tony, I, w- I wanted to bring up because I'm looking forward to reading it. I know it's something that you wrote uh, roughly seven, eight years ago. But the, the story of golf in 50 holes. 
and it's something I've picked up on Amazon looking forward to reading, but maybe you can just walk us through that a little bit, because I think our, 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 our listeners out there who haven't had a chance to read that would be really interesting. Such a great title for a book. Thank you, Scott. Um, yes, it was um, that, you know, that there are so many great golf books available these days. There are so many thousands of golf books. Um, it's always, it's always difficult and fun to find a title or an angle that, that no one's tried before or, or just sounds a little bit different. Um, and there are so many golf history books and, you know, so many great ones. Um, and I, you know, in speaking with a publisher, came up with this idea of, of telling the history of golf, you know, not, not in a academic, scholarly, thousand-page type way, but in a, in, in a way that was digestible and and just slightly different um and so we thought um by focusing on 50 different holes that have played a part in the in the story of golf and the you know the the, the development of the game um some holes you know where, where extremely famous incidents have occurred some holes that you might never have heard of um but which somehow had an effect on the way golf courses were built or golf courses were, were designed. Um, and so we, we, um, we, we finalized the title. Um, and then after that, um, I went away and, and worked on which holes to include. Um, and we agreed on the 50 holes. Um, and then it was, as, as as is the case with all publishing, well, I'm, I'm assuming there's some some writers who are so far advanced that it's kind of um, you'll get it when I finished. But uh, it certainly wasn't the case uh, seven years ago, eight years ago. Um, it was I had three months to write it. Wow. Um, so it was it was um, it was crazy. I was I was I was writing probably two thousand words a day for. Six, six days a week for for three months. Well, congratulations to you. I'm curious, uh, what is your favorite hole all time, just from an architectural standpoint, if you had to pick one hole in the world of golf? Um, with with 30,000 courses, uh, you know, mo <laughs> most of them. Top three. Top holes, there's, there's a lot to choose from, but actually, yeah. I mean, I, I'll just, I'm just able to go straight to the answer straight away, Scott. Um, can I have two, in fact? Yes, absolutely. The, the, the two best holes in the world, bar none, are the 17th on the old course at St. Andrews and the 13th at Augusta National, which is great because um, it works for me because, you know, obviously I'm, I'm British, but I've but I've been in the states for twenty years, so I can <laughs> I can represent both both halves of my life. Are you okay that they're lengthening thirteen this year at Augusta, thirty five no, yards? I'm not, I'm not okay with with the distance that um pros hit the ball these days at all. Um, I think it's um I think it's bad for the game. I think it's bad for the pro game. I think it's bad for the amateur game. I I, I that that's a whole different. It is. Podcast, radio, show, whatever, but yeah. but no, I'm not. I'm not pleased with it. Um, um, when the thirteenth hole of Augusta was at its absolute very best, and this is what they're trying to do by by lengthening it. It's when you get Nick Fallow, 
you know, up, down the fairway um, on the final day in 19, I think it was 96, was it? Um, and he's and he's umming and ahhing with his caddy, Fanny Sunnison there over a two iron. And the conversation goes on for probably, I don't know, three or four minutes. And of course, if this was a Thursday, you wouldn't want someone taking three or four minutes over a shot. But um, it was the final round of the Masters, and and he's on the thirteenth hole, and I don't know what what the score was at, at that at that time, but it was obviously very close with with him and Norman. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the 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 longer because it's the Sunday of the Masters, the longer he takes over the shot, the more excitement is is building all the time, and he's and he's. He's thinking two iron. You know, he he wants to go for it. So is it a two iron or a five word, or is he going to lay up? In the end, he went. He had a two iron. He had it absolutely magnificently, and it's a fantastic shot. Um, and you know, either a long iron or a hybrid, or not a hybrid, but a you know, back in the days when they hit three woods. You know, watching watching Hogan. I, not that I watched Hogan, but you know, I've seen videos of of video reel of um Hogan hitting a three wood into the thirteenth green. I mean how how much more exciting and compelling is that than somebody hitting a, a seven iron yeah. or an eight iron into the into the into that green. Um it's uh, the thirteenth hole on Masters Sunday is the most exciting hole in the world to watch. And it's infinitely more exciting when the player tied for the lead or in the lead or or trying to get to the lead has got a three iron or a two iron or a one iron or a three wood in his hand, not a seven iron or eight iron. Yeah. So so on the one hand, while I understand and I you know, the the, the five hundred and forty five yard hole that it is now. If that if that throws up, you know, three words or long irons into the into the green, then fine. But I I just think we don't need to do it. We don't need to keep adding forty yards, fifty yards to to a hole if we if we just got sensible with the equipment. But as I say that, you know, that's an, that's another yes, that's is. another podcast or radio show for another time. Frank, I know you want to ask about a couple architects quickly. Well, yeah, and quickly because we are running, you know, unfortunately it's only an hour show and um, we have a whole lot to get to. But, uh, Tony, you know, uh, for for the casual player, um, the the two architects that probably would come to mind are are Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer. And um, talk about them a a little bit and and the contributions they've made or their companies have made. Jack Nicholas... um... Well, I mean, firstly, their contributions have obviously been massive. Um, Jan Nicholas is, you know, the the greatest or the second greatest. <laughs> That's another one. Um, golfer of all time. Um, it's it's uh, it's commonly thought regarded that a lot of Jack's, uh, sorry, Mister Nicholas's early courses uh were built with his game in mind you know he 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 um he built holes that heavily favored the um the high fade which he hit hit obviously what was his stock shot um which he was brilliant at um 
And I do think a lot of people um, disregard Jack's courses because they feel that um, they just catered to his to his game when he was at his best in the in the uh, late fifties, sixties, seventies. Um, I think that's a little un- unfair and undeserved. I think uh, Nicholas courses um, Nicholas courses certainly are certainly tough. Um, or can be tough. I'm sorry, Frank. My dog is squeaking in the background. Can I? Can I? <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, if 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 the dog can add anything to this conversation, Tony, that's fine. <laughs> don't worry about if, it. If, if you don't mind him squeaking, then um, then he, how about he can... how about Arnold Palmer? Your thoughts on his Arnold course? Palmer? Arnold Palmer. Um, unlike unlike Nicholas, who whose courses did kind of catered to his game. Palmer's didn't at all, I don't think. Palmer Palmer stated very early on that all he was really interested in was making it fun and enjoyable for um that's not to say Nicholas courses can't be fun and enjoyable, but the emphasis for Palmer was was very much on fun and enjoyment. And he and he was quoted as saying, you know, he said in his in his in his autobiography in uh, A Life Well Played, he wanted to make courses that were pretty. He wanted to make pretty courses that people could have fun on. Um, that that's a that's a good goal. I mean, that, that's a great goal in my mind. It, it really is, and and um, I, I think I think some t- certainly the younger generation. I, I, I was possibly guilty of it um, 10, 20 years ago. You know, we, we get we get so caught up in the architecture, and you know, I, I, golf course architecture is my passion, and it's it's you know it's what, it's what I'm most interested in in the world. But let's not forget that you know we're outside for four hours. We want we want to do that or or be outside for four hours in a beautiful place, and in a place that um, you know that settles our conscious consciousnesses and, and and makes us feel peaceful um and happy uh and i i suppose the older i get you know that um the architecture is still immensely important but uh, i'm also i'm becoming more conscious of the beauty of a site as well yeah and, 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 okay and Palmer's courses, you know, the the emphasis is absolutely on beauty and and having fun, and yeah, so, and and as I as I said, um, sorry, I, I think I've played twenty two of his courses now, and and every one is 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 picture book memorable. Yeah, no, that's well said. Hey, Tony, I'm sorry, we're running out of time here. We have to to jump off, but thank you so much. And, oh, it's my uh, pleasure. Thank, thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, Tony, I, I look forward to having you uh, uh, more on in the future and uh, look forward to the next time we can out and play some golf as well. Absolutely, Frank. Uh, I hope that was okay. I hope that well, I didn't ramble too much. <laughs> yeah, like I said, anybody that talks with an accent, the rambling sounds perfect. So Okay, well, I'll, I'll practice the accent for next time. That's Tony Deere. This is the Golf to Go Radio Hour. We'll be back with more right after this. It's the Golf to Go Hour with Frank LaRosa on Sacktown Sports. Golf to Go Radio Hour continues here on Sacktown Sports 1140. We're bringing in uh, Mr. Aaron Young. Aaron is the uh, NorCal rep for 
for a Kushnet company, uh, better better known uh, to most folks as as the Titleist brand. Aaron, welcome to the show, and how are you? Frank, thanks for having me. Looking forward to talking uh, product with you today. Absolutely. You know, you you certainly talk from from a from a position of strength. I mean, year after year after year after year, the uh, the Pro V One golf ball um, is um, you know just just continues to uh, to be the most popular ball on tour, uh, certainly, and um, and and everybody that uh, envisions himself as a <laughs> as a uh, Amateur tour player wants to play that ball as well. Uh, you just introduced or just launched the, the the new version. I guess every two years you come out with a, a new version of the Pro V1 and Pro V1X. Tell us about it and, and why we should uh, be excited about this this new version. Yeah, it's an exciting time every two years because we know, we know new Pro V1 and new Pro V1X are, are coming. It's uh, a brand new core in both golf balls. Um, we were able to, within each core, we have a high gradient core in both golf balls. And within each core, we make the center a little softer. And as you get out toward the further regions of the core, we make it a little firmer. And what that does is it lowers long game spin. So there's potential for distance gains, especially with your driver, fairway, and hybrids without losing anything around the greens, because certainly that's what we're known for. And that's why over 70% of the tour players play our golf ball, no matter what's on their hat, is how consistent it is. But if we can give them a little something extra, we certainly want to do that without uh, hurting consistency. You know, um, you you talk about uh, an an additional length, and and to me, that's just – that's – that's icing on the cake because because really it's it's the short game that 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 ball is you know just sort of, sort of outperforms everyone else. Yeah, we you and I have talked about it before. When we fit our tour players, um, we start at the green and then work our way back. If the new golf ball doesn't meet their needs around the green, then it doesn't matter really what it does with their driver uh, because the the. For them and for amateurs, the best way to score better is to get up and down around the green. So we start there, work our way back into a wedge, work our way back to a seven, six iron, and then work with the driver. And so far on tour, both balls have passed uh, that test with flying colors. A lot of uh, weekend players would say, gee, I, I can't I can't play the Pro V1 or the Pro V1X. I'm not that good. What, what do you say to that? I would actually make the argument the other way is that most amateurs don't hit par fours and two. I know I miss my share of greens and I need a golf ball that I can get up and down with. And that's Pro V1 and, and Pro V1X. Yeah. Scott, uh, have you played that ball? Oh, of course I have. Um, but it sounds too good to be true that you're able to get me some distance and not change any of the feel at all. So how is that possible? Well, we take our time. Uh, it's every two years, so we're not rushing a ball to market every year. Um, we have so many patents on golf balls, and we're already working on what would be the 2025 golf ball. So we take our time. Our um, The position that we take in each and every golf ball, um, whether it's our low end or our high end, is, is unmatched in the industry. So um, we are not going to sacrifice anything around the greens and consistency. But when we do find a little magic formula, which we have in this new core, we can help players gain a few extra yards here and there. Uh, a funny story, Max Homa, who just won at Torrey Pines a couple weeks back, 
literally tested the golf ball on Saturday and Sunday, and the tournament started on Wednesday. He put it in play on Monday and won with it. And what they found with Max was his driver was spinning at about 2,700 RPM, and he put the new ball on TrackMan, and he was spinning at about 2,500 RPM. And that right there with his driver, he picked up a couple extra yards because it just wasn't spinning quite as much. But when he went around the green, he didn't lose anything. And if anybody watched Max coming in, there was absolute trust in the golf ball and that swing that he put on the golf ball as he was closing out it and winning at Torrey Pines. Yeah, no, he played great. If only he told Jim Nance and Trevor Immelman that when he was mic'd up, that would have been something else. Yeah, that's um, something fun. Max is a, yeah. a, a very enjoyable guy to be yes. a staffer with and very enjoyable on social media in front of the press. Yeah, no, he's great. Um you know, it, it feels like, you know, everybody gets fitted for clubs and that's established just what you do. But it feels like it's become much more in vogue to get fitted for a golf ball, not just with tour pros, but for the average golfer. I, I guess my question to that is because the Pro V1 and the Pro V1X are, are such elite balls that anybody could play with. Why even get fitted for something else if that is the premier golf ball? It's a good question. We think that since it's the only piece of equipment that you play on every single shot, why not take the time to get fit for a golf ball? So in our super premium category, you have Pro V1, Pro V1X, Pro V1X Left Dash, and AVX. And all of them feel and fly a little different. AVX would be the lowest spinning of all our golf balls, but it feels the softest. Then Pro V is more of a mid-flight. Then Pro V1X is the higher flight and then Pro V1X left dash is right there on the high flight, but it's firmer and it doesn't spin quite as much. So we have four golf balls that we think amateurs can play better golf with. And it's just a matter of talking to the right person, whether it's your, your local pro shop. Uh, certainly on our website, you can chat with somebody about golf ball fitting. And then as the summer and the spring or the spring and summer rolls around, we actually have fitters out there talking to golfers about the best ball for their game. Does it make a difference based on time of year, which golf ball might make the most sense based on just temperature conditions of the course? Is that a factor at all? It can. If you're moving into a real firm golf course, maybe Pro V1X, and you're looking for maximum carry, might help you a little bit more, whereas in the spring and summertime, then maybe you move to Pro V1X. I generally tell people, and I include myself in this, is the more you play a golf ball, the more consistent you're going to be and know the ins and outs of it. So unless it's extreme circumstances, I generally have people play the, the same golf ball all year round. You know, you talk about the little tweaks that were made. I, I just happened, uh, I was trying to find the the name of it, but I, I, I just saw today, I got a press release from, from Titleist about um, about the, the launch and the development of the, of the TSR clubs. And, and it came from, from the tour players wanting more speed out of the, out of the Titleist driver. <laughs> And the the um, just the little tweaks they made in in trying to find the right metal, you know, and and going to someone that they they came up with an aircraft metal or something like that. I think the the line in there was there are two other people that used this particular metal, and one is the Pentagon, and the other one is you know some some other um, military establishment. But but you know to to watch that video and to see how much. Um, R and D goes into to, into making your clubs. Uh, it, it was remarkable, and the and the tour pros seem to love them. Yeah, for TSI, we were, and that's the last generation. The new generation is the TSR. But um, 
We wanted to find a face that was thin enough and durable enough and met all the quality control that we wanted it to meet, but still was the fastest driver that we could come out with and really uh, the fastest driver on the market. So we came upon a company in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and this metal that only the military and the aerospace industry used, ATI-425, it's a totally different type of titanium is what we use in our face. And that's what allows us to get this superior ball speed without worrying about breakage and thinning the face too much. So it's amazing what you do when you look outside maybe the industry to find uh, an answer to some of the stuff you've been working on. But like I said, with the golf ball, we come out with drivers every two years so we can take our time and make sure that the previous generation, um, which is good, but the new generation is going to beat that, whether it's ball speed, forgiveness, or hopefully a combination of the two. And And that's what TSR, which uh, Max Homa certainly uses, Jordan Spieth certainly uses, uh, all our tour guys use it, and it's been very successful since our launch in, in September from a ball speed and a forgiveness standpoint. Because you can't you can't give up forgiveness for ball speed, and you can't for, give up ball speed for forgiveness. You want that best combination, and that's what TSR does in all the different models. Well, as I say, I wish I could remember the name, but I guess if you Google. Um... You know, TSR development uh, documentary, uh, you, you may come up with it, but there's there's four parts to it. And it, it's it's a really a fascinating process. And uh, and uh, I was really interested to 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 see that whole story, you know, because that's the kind of stuff when you when you look at the at the driver in the rack, you know, you have no idea what went into it. Right. I mean, it's it's there it is. It's a piece of metal and uh, you know, you're going to go out and hit it. And you're either going to like it or you're not. But but when you when you think of the man hours and and the science and and technology that goes into all your products it's it's fascinating and then we're the only driver still out there that's pinging us or the only ones who are still titanium so you have to be able to find metal that works for you and then it's really big for us because we're the number one driver on the tour so we need to make sure that the tour players like the feel like the sound forgiveness ball speed that's what we're looking for the ultimate combination Aaron, you've been with Titleist a number of years. What's the best thing about working for the company? The products are unbelievable, Frank. Um, to be able to sell, I'm so blessed to be able to sell Pro V1, Pro V1X, uh, SM9 wedges, Scotty Cameron putters, and the TSR uh, wood line and the T uh, series irons. It's just, we've never had a lineup that from, if you swing 85 miles an hour, you swing 105 miles an hour. We have a we have a product for you. So it's it's nice to get up out of bed every day and look forward to selling a product like uh like Titleist. You know, you mentioned the Vokey wedges and the and the Scotty Cameron putters. There's a there's a whole nother segment. And unfortunately we don't have time for it today, but I'd love to have you back to talk about those two products as well. Absolutely. Love to. Aaron Young with uh, Titleist, uh, NorCal rep uh, and a friend. Aaron, thanks for being with us today on the Golf to Go Radio Hour. And uh, quite frankly, that wraps up another show here on Sacktown Sports 1140. So be back with us next week. Keep it in the fairway. Golf's uh, a game. Have some fun with it. Bye-bye.